Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we are going to continue our discussion of 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're finally moving on to verse 2. And this addresses the recipient of the letter. So we've identified Paul, who he is, why he uses the name Paul instead of Saul. And we've talked at length about the apostolic office and the source of uh, his appointment to that office, which is from God by command of God, our Savior and Christ Jesus, our hope. Now let's look at the recipient. And that's verse two to Timothy, my true child in the faith grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, the recipient, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Now, we discussed this in our introduction, our introductory episode about Timothy back in Acts chapter 16. And uh, so we mentioned that already. He's a son of a Jewish woman. We know from 2 Timothy 1.5 that his mother's name is Eunice. His grandmother's name is Lois. And we can put together, and we're actually told explicitly that these two ladies played an instrumental role in Timothy's life. And he was probably brought up learning the Hebrew scriptures and most likely had the way of God explained to him more accurately by Paul, Acts 18.26. For instance, we read this 2 Timothy 1.5, just to jog your memory. I am reminded of your sincere faith, Paul writes, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Remember that Timothy accompanied Paul on his second missionary journey, and right before it ended, Paul set Timothy as a pastor in the church in Ephesus. When we think about the Ephesian ministry as recorded in the book of Acts, we really think about that primarily taking up Acts chapters 19 and 20, Paul's third missionary journey. We know that Timothy accompanied Paul all through his second journey, and even during the initial ministry in Ephesus, that journey ends in 1822 when Paul returns to Antioch. We learn in these chapters of Acts that Paul establishes the church at Ephesus He starts for three months there. Uh, That's his initial signing on time, Acts 19, verse 8. But then he stays on for two more years, Acts 19, verse 10. And by the time we get to his urgent plea to the Ephesian church, Paul says that he ministered there for three years, Acts 20, verse 31. Paul sets Timothy as the pastor in Acts 20, verse 1. And this corresponds perfectly to 1 Timothy 1, 3, where we read, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Okay, so that's how these all fit in together. We also know that Paul knows that his time is drawing to a close and says his final goodbyes. Acts 20, verse 17, we read this now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Okay, one of those elders that was called in Acts 20, verse 17, would have been Timothy. So that's who Timothy is. We know that he accompanied Paul. 
but now we get to this second part here. We've identified the person. We did that in our very first episode, introducing the letter. And now we see that it's that, that person. Uh, but Paul identifies him here this way with this phrase, my true child in the faith, uh, kind of an appositional phrase to Timothy. Who is Timothy? This is who he is. My true child in the faith. Okay. The designation child was a very happy one for it combined two ideas. One, I have begotten you and two, you are very dear to me. Uh, we, we see people use both of these, uh, both of these usages today. And so, uh, we have to also realize that when Paul is saying he begot Timothy, he's talking about a spiritual child and to say that he's very dear to me. Uh, again, we see that in common usage all the time, you know, um, and we have, you know, especially in the church, church with young children and, you know, there'll be grandparent type figures in the church whose family members may not be there. And so they'll end up being like adoptive grandparents. And I know my children have all kinds of adoptive grandparents. So we really can see uh, both aspects of that. And for sure, Timothy was no Demas as well. We read about Demas in Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, where Paul writes, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. All right, so Timothy is definitely not Demas. All right, that brings us to one last aspect here, and that is the greeting itself. So we have the author, we have the recipient, and now we want to talk about the uh, greeting itself, and that is at the end of verse 2, where we read, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, we've mentioned this before. It'll come up with other Pauline letters and epistles. Uh, this is very standard Pauline greeting. We talked about how this is uh, an elaboration uh, of a standard greeting in that day. So Paul kind of takes the format and expands upon it under direction of the Holy Spirit. What we find in a lot of his greetings is that sometimes there's a variation of this. We have here grace, mercy, and peace. Sometimes it's grace and peace. Sometimes it's grace and mercy. Uh, so we, we have to understand that it's not going to be the same every single time, but these are recurrent themes and not something to necessarily gloss over. I mean, you think about the, how the standard introduction and form of a letter would have gone in correspondence during that time. Without the envelope or a postmark, you would have identified yourself as the writer right away, and then you would identify the subject, and then you would just say greeting. Well, he doesn't just say greeting here. Um, he, he expands on who he is. He expands on the recipient as well. And instead of giving greeting, he gives basically a blessing to talk about the things that are most precious in the doctrine of salvation and the gospel when we think about everything that Paul writes on and, and the message that we proclaim that we've been entrusted with as ambassadors of Christ in this world, you know, stop and think for a moment that at the moment of salvation, we aren't just taken up into heaven. God leaves us here and we're told in the scriptures that he who has begun a good work and you will bring it to perfection or completion to the day of Jesus Christ. And so we're talking about a sanctifying work. Uh, we are a work in progress from the time that the Lord saves us till he takes us home. And that 
that journey can look very different for different people, but it is a journey nonetheless. And he leaves us here uh, to grow us, but also to proclaim the gospel. Uh, that's a, another interesting topic as well. We don't want to sidetrack too much on that. But the fact of the matter is, it's very interesting when you talk about the difference between specific revelation and general revelation, right? Uh, Psalm 19 talks about general revelation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Well, you can't understand the nuances and the intricacies of the gospel through general revelation. You can go out and marvel and you can even know that God exists through general revelation, but you can't know the specifics that man rebelled against God, that God is holy and perfect, and that he is a righteous judge and he is just, and that he will judge all sin for all eternity and be completely just and right to do so, and that man has fallen infinitely short of that perfect standard, and that one sin is enough to condemn us to an eternity apart from God. And it was never meant to be that way, but that is the current state of things. We are powerless to save ourselves. Only God can save us. And he has, from eternity past, devised a way for salvation that would bring him the most glory. And that is through the incarnation of the second person of the Godhead, uh, the, the Son. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Son leaves his throne above, as the hymn says, and he comes to earth. This is the incarnation. It's what we celebrate at Christmas time. He takes on human flesh, uh, takes on sinful flesh, although he has no sin in him and he is perfectly obedient. He becomes like us so that he can spill his blood because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. There has to be shedding of blood, but the blood of bulls and goats, it's impossible for those things to take away sin. We know all this from the letter to the Hebrews. So we kind of take all of this together so we know that Jesus offered the perfect sacrifice for sin, and in so doing, not only does he say that he pays the penalty for God's sin, but he offers us eternal life. Beautiful. It's Okay, but what, what of that that we just spent the last minute articulating? In gospel in a nutshell, do you know and discern from general revelation? And the answer is you don't know any of that. And so one of the things... You know, when you actually stop and think about the incredible mystery uh, of the gospel and the mysterious ways of God, he tells us, and he tells us through his servant Paul, not in this letter, but to the church at Rome, that faith comes by hearing. How does hearing come? By the word of Christ, hearing by the word of God. And how shall they hear except someone proclaim the message? Or, you know, how shall they hear without a preacher? So not only does he leave us here on earth for our own sanctification and spiritual growth, but he leaves us here because he's commissioned us, we talk about the Great Commission, to go and declare the gospel to others. And so while we're on this earth, we have a task before us, and that is to declare the gospel. It's a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And uh, we, we declare the gospel, and when we do that, we, we may take different paths. I'm coming back to the, the text here at hand. You know, we might take a trip down the Romans road, as many of you are probably familiar with, or use other verses because we want to give God's word when we do have that opportunity to share the gospel. But when we're speaking of the gospel, maybe in narrative form to somebody, and we're talking about uh, the, the joy and the beauty of what Christ has done, it can be distilled 
in these key words that Paul uses in his greeting. The gospel is something that is that is characterized by grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is something that is given to us that we don't deserve. That's what unmerited means. So when he talks about grace, the grace of God, right? And all of these things because of the construction here, grace, mercy, and peace. It's not just peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's all three of these things. All uh, Grace comes from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. So does mercy. So does peace. They're all grouped together here uh, linguistically, okay? Uh, so all of these things, when, when we talk about the gospel, this is, we are being saved from the consequences of our sin. And that salvation is not something that we deserve. It's not something that we earn. It is a gift. And that's what grace is. Now, mercy is kind of the other side of that. We're given something that we don't deserve, but mercy is the withholding of that which we do deserve. And we already mentioned this in that nutshell discussion of the gospel, but what we deserve as sinners who have transgressed the standard of perfection that is called God's holiness, read about that in Isaiah chapter 6, holy, 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 it's the Lord God Almighty. Uh, Read about that in Exodus chapter 3. Remove your sandals for the feet on which you're, or the ground on which you're standing, uh, right, is holy ground. Uh, and so anyway, we have this, this discussion of God's holiness, and we have this idea that we have transgressed that standard of perfection, and the scriptures subsume all under sin because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not a just man on the earth that does good and doesn't sin. Ecclesiastes 7.20. Go back through the list. There's references to Psalms there. Go back and check your, if your Bible has cross-references. Go to Romans chapter 3 and begin looking at those cross-references, especially there's some sections that are, that are taken straight out of other passages, and you'll begin to see that this, this isn't just in Romans. We use this Romans road, but it's all throughout. It's incredible. And the point is, is that as sinners who have come from the womb speaking lies, to use the terminology of David, we and and we choose to sin of our own volition very early on very very early on we are guilty both in adam and in our own sin and and the the whole point is is that we stand uh as direct recipients we stand in the path of god's wrath and when we are saved not only do we receive a gift that we don't deserve but something that we do deserve, which is eternal punishment for that sin, is withheld. That's mercy. And of course, Jeremiah the prophet had something to say about that. I mean, you know, he's the suffering servant. He's the suffering prophet, the wailing prophet. Uh, his life was just a miserable life. Uh, he writes the book that is dedicated to weeping in the Old Testament, the Lamentations. And there in the book of Lamentations, in chapter three, he said, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Great is his faithfulness. It's incredible. So what a greeting, right? Grace, this unmerited favor, mercy, the withholding of that which you did deserve, that which you did merit. God has spared you from that. And the result of those two things 
receiving grace, being the beneficiary of mercy, what does that produce? It produces a peace that Paul will write to the church in Philippi about, right? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. It gives you a peace that, not, that, that no one else can rob from you. And so the gospel produces peace in the life of the believer. And that's what we have to try and wrap our minds around. I mean, what a way, what a tone to start this letter off with. Uh, incredible. Okay. Uh, one commentator said this, grace refers to God's undeserved favor, love, and forgiveness that frees sinners from the consequences of sin. Mercy frees us not from the consequences of sin, but from the misery that accompanies it. And peace is the result of grace and mercy. Now, where does all this come from? Well, it comes from the gospel, but ultimately it comes from God. And that's what he says, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have a little Trinitarian nod there, and Paul will expand on that in other places in his letters. Uh, God the Father, that's the first person of the triunity. When we speak about God without qualification, we're usually talking about the first person, uh, not the second or the third person. Uh, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. That's probably going to be addressed to the first person of the triunity, God the Father. And he says it explicitly here, God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a differentiation of persons. He is not equating the two. They're not the same person, same God, one God, but they're different persons. Three persons, one God. This is the mystery of the triunity, uh, and that has been a mystery down through the ages. But we accept it because the Bible declares it, and we get a little bit of a picture of it here. Christ Jesus, our Lord. By the way, just as a reminder, and we'll wrap it up here, but Christ, God's chosen one, God's anointed, Jesus, the Savior, right? You will call his name Jesus, Matthew one twenty one, for he shall save his people from his sins. So the name Jesus means Savior. Christ means the anointed of God, uh, right? What, is, what does Peter say as the spokesman for the apostles in Matthew chapter 16? Jesus answers, asks them the question, you know, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of God, and that is to say God's chosen one. So God's chosen savior. And as such, he has authority over us and over this entire creation, obviously our Lord. All right. Uh, so we'll, we made it through verse two. We're going to stop our discussion there today and we'll dive in to verse three. Uh, he just hits the ground running with uh, these warnings here against false teaching. And we'll tackle that in our next episode. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.